0: but I can help you go from barely surviving to parenting in a way that feels good for you and your child. So warm up your coffee and grab your earbuds. It's time to raise resilient kids. Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Hillary, and I am so glad you're here. I'm also really excited to share that starting today, I'm gonna be doing a three-week podcast series on meltdowns. Meltdowns are hands down, One of the topics I get asked about most by parents. I think we all go through a transition, especially as first time parents, but with all of our kids, at some point during toddlerhood, our formerly sweet, agreeable baby starts to have opinions about things, starts to push back on limits, starts to, as my 17 month old is doing now, throw herself on the floor when she doesn't like something. So this can be really jarring. And it can be a moment in parenthood where you go, wait, what in the world is happening? What am I doing wrong, right? Because that's where we go. What am I doing wrong as a parent? And what's wrong with my kid? Because I think society sends us these very wrong messages about what meltdowns are, what they mean, and what we're supposed to do about them. So I wanted to create some space here on the podcast to talk specifically about meltdowns. And if you haven't yet listened to my story, when I hit that moment with my first child, you can go back and listen to the very first episode of this podcast where I share how I found myself interested in respectful, gentle, conscious parenting, right? Because you might think that as a psychologist, that was just naturally what I gravitated toward. And it is something I think had I known about it, I would have gravitated toward it, but you know, they don't Teach this in grad school. We learned attachment theory, but we didn't necessarily learn about parenting, right? And so when I was a first-time mom, I found myself exactly where a lot of my clients are, where a lot of the parents I work with find themselves, which is that moment of what is happening? Why is my child suddenly having all of these meltdowns? And is it a problem? And how do I fix it? So I wanted to dedicate some time to talk about meltdowns. Now, We're going to talk a little bit about the difference between a tantrum and a meltdown. We're going to talk then about four myths about meltdowns that we have learned from either how we were raised or from society that we need to unlearn in order to really show up for our kids during meltdowns in a way that feels good for them and for us. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And then Next week, I'm going to share three pieces of bad advice that you've probably gotten when it comes to how to handle your child's meltdowns. We're going to talk about why those things are not good advice and what you can do instead. And then two weeks from now, I'm going to do a whole episode on managing the after-school meltdown. I know a lot of you are getting ready to send your child back to school, and the after-school meltdown can feel really challenging. We actually just sent our kids back because they're in year-round school, and we have had our fair share of after-school meltdowns already, so I feel really prepared to walk you through that. And then, and this is the part that I'm probably most excited to announce, on Saturday, August 27th at 1 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, I am holding a live virtual workshop all about meltdowns. We're going to talk about how to manage meltdowns with the idea of building healthy emotion regulation in mind. We're going to talk about what is actually happening for your child during a meltdown. We're going to talk about what is happening for you during your child's meltdowns. We're going to talk about what you should do, and we're going to learn my very effective and easy to remember grow strategy so that you're never again going to sit there and go, what am I supposed to be doing right now while your child is melting down? We're also going to talk about public meltdowns. What do you do when your child melts down in the middle of a store? And we're going to talk about some things you might be doing that you're trying to do to be helpful, but that might actually be making things harder. So we're going to talk about all of that. And then we are going to leave time for Q&A at the end. And I think that's my favorite part because you know you listen to the podcast or you might follow me on Instagram but this is a chance where you can come with a question that might even be specific to your child or your family and say hey what about this right or I tried this and this wasn't working can you help me troubleshoot we are going to leave time for a really good Q&A at the end so you don't want to miss this and toward that end i'm going to try to keep this workshop relatively intimate, so that people who want to ask questions during the Q&A can. So I do think tickets are going to go quickly. So if you are interested in attending, make sure to grab your ticket today. You can go to RaisedResilient.com forward slash learn, and you'll see the workshop there. It's $47 to attend, and there will be a replay for those who buy a ticket but can't attend live. Okay, so now let's jump in to four myths about meltdowns. Now, before we get into the four myths, I just wanted to say that I think one of the reasons that meltdowns are so challenging for us is because for most of us, when we had meltdowns as children, we were moved away from those feelings. We were told, you're okay. Don't cry. This isn't a big deal. Don't worry about it. In efforts to make us feel happy again, because that's what our parents thought was the right move. But as we've talked about a lot before on this podcast, that approach had unintended negative consequences. That approach made most of us really uncomfortable feeling anything besides happy. It made us feel like the goal was to leave those feelings behind and get back to happy as quickly as possible and by whatever means possible, right? Distract yourself, numb your feelings, do whatever you can to get back to happy. Maybe pretend they don't exist. I think that approach also made us struggle to trust ourselves, to trust our feelings. Maybe that approach led to some people-pleasing tendencies. I need to not show that I am feeling this because it will make the people around me uncomfortable. I've got to pretend to be fine, right? And so when we are sitting with our kids, when they are melting down, a lot of times we feel really uncomfortable. And that makes so much sense. So I think these myths that I'm about to debunk are guided by this idea that we need to get back to feeling happy as quickly as we possibly can. This is a pervasive idea in our society still. And so most of these myths are rooted in that idea. So before I jump into that, I wanted to just quickly differentiate between a tantrum and a meltdown, because this is also a question that I get asked a lot. So a tantrum is centered on one specific thing. It's a protest, right? So it's when you give your toddler some food and your toddler pushes the plate back at you and says, no, I don't want that, right? This is when you tell your child it's time to turn off TV and they say, no, I don't want to do that. And they push back, right? They might stomp their feet. They might, as my 17-month-old is doing now, throw themselves on the floor, right? A tantrum is really focused on one specific outcome. It is your child pushing back saying, nope, I have a different opinion than you. Now, a tantrum can turn into a meltdown, but it doesn't always. A meltdown is when your child is in a state of full emotional dysregulation, right? Their logical reasoning skills have gone offline. They are not able to access logic They are completely in their emotions. Their nervous system is activated. They might be in fight or flight. Your child has reached a point of complete sensory and emotional overload. They've hit a tipping point of, I can't take one more thing, and the emotion all flows out of them in whatever way, right? Maybe through tears, maybe through anger. That is a meltdown. And again, a tantrum can lead to a meltdown, but it doesn't always, right? Sometimes a tantrum is just a tantrum and your child needs the space to protest. This is where you might say, I really get that. You really don't want to turn off the TV right now. It's so hard to stop watching when you were having so much fun. And then your child grumbles and moves on. That's not a meltdown, right? That's a tantrum. Sometimes turning off the TV is the straw that breaks the camel's back and the emotions flow loose as if you've removed the dam and they just come flowing out. That is a meltdown and it's not really about the TV. It seems like it's about the TV but actually it's a build up of stress that needs to release. So, I hope that's a helpful distinction as we move into our four myths about meltdowns. Okay. So the first myth, meltdowns are bad behavior and they need to be punished. Now, if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you already know what I'm going to say. You know that I don't believe in bad behavior because all behavior communicates how your child is doing. It communicates a need that's not been met yet or a missing skill, right? It's not bad or good. It's just communication. And punishments They don't work in the long term. The research really supports that. But more than just that, meltdowns are not within your child's control. Your child is always doing the best they can. Remember the quote from Dr. Ross Green, kids do well when they can. So when your child is following directions, when your child is able to take some validation of their feelings and move on. Your child is doing that because that's they're they're capable of that in that moment. But sometimes your child has emotional stress that builds up to the point of needing to overflow. That's what a meltdown is. Your child is not in control of that. And again, your child doesn't have access to their logical reasoning abilities in that moment. So Meltdowns are certainly not bad behavior. They're also not within your child's control. So if you were to try to punish that, right? A punishment assumes that we're going to do something unpleasant because this child is doing something that we don't like and we're going to teach the child that that's not okay. Well, in order to learn through a behavioral conditioning approach, which is where punishments come from, you've got to have access to your logical reasoning abilities and your child does not during a meltdown. So even if we took away the fact that punishments erode the connection you have with your child and that they're not effective, they're truly a nonsensical intervention when it comes to meltdowns, right? It is just never, ever going to work to punish a child who's melting down. A child who is having a meltdown is not engaging in purposeful behavior A child who is having a meltdown is not in control of their behavior, and so punishments don't even make sense. And again, all behavior that we see from our kids, so behavior during a meltdown might look really dysregulated, right? Because your child is really dysregulated. You might see hitting, kicking, biting. Your child might be in fight or flight, which is a time when you're going to see behaviors that are intended to either flee the situation or fight with you. That is a nervous system response. Your child is not in control of that. So meltdowns are not bad behavior, and punishment would be a really nonsensical response. So hopefully that helps clear that up. So myth number two is this. Okay, fine. I'm on board with the fact that meltdowns are not bad behavior. I'm not going to punish my child. But meltdowns are still ideally avoided, right? Like, we don't want kids to meltdown. The goal is to get the meltdowns to stop, right? Okay, this one is one that I think even people who are really committed to gentle, respectful parenting still get wrong. And it has everything to do with our own programming that we got through our childhoods and how we were raised. But I think we still have this idea that the ultimate goal is to get the child back To calm, right? To get the child to stop having these meltdowns, to get to a point where the meltdowns don't happen anymore. I think so many people still think that's the goal. Well, in order to understand why that's a myth and why meltdowns actually are not ideally avoided and why meltdowns are actually a good thing, we need to understand what is really happening for our child in that moment. So here's the thing. Everyone, even adults, we have sort of this container where we're able to handle daily stressors and bigger, more overarching stressors. So if you've got something really stressful going on in your life, then that container is already half or three quarters full all the time even without little daily stressors. But then there are the little daily stressors, right? That extra project at work or for kids having to sit still at school and contain the impulse to shout out when they want to talk, raising their hands before they speak, staying in line, staying quiet as they walk through the hallways. These are not natural things for kids. These take a lot of effort. Learning new tasks, which is what kids do all day at school. Right, Most of us go to work and we're not constantly faced with things we don't know how to do. Most of the time we know how to do a decent portion of our jobs. Yes, we're hopefully still learning some new things, but our kids are learning almost everything new all the time. That is really stressful. And so throughout the course of the day, that container gets fuller and fuller and fuller until it reaches a tipping point of, I can't handle one more thing. It's the straw that breaks the camel's back. So whatever the thing is that sets off the meltdown, it's not really about that, right? When you give your child cereal and they say, I didn't want this for a snack, right? Or, you know, you look at them the wrong way and they fall apart. It's not about that thing. That thing was just the thing that filled their container to the point of tipping, right? Think about it for yourself, What was the last time where you reached a point where you needed an emotional release, right? Where something set you over that edge. I know for me, it was just last week. I was making cupcakes for my son's eighth birthday and I was solo parenting because my partner was out of town and I was trying to catch up on work things after having been out for a few weeks on vacation. And there was just a lot on my plate and I just couldn't seem to get the cupcake batter into the cupcake holders. And I, first of all, mess is a trigger for me anyway, but the batter was going everywhere. And I just, that was it. That was the, I can't take one more thing moment. And I needed to like have some way of emotionally releasing that stress. And so I said to my kids, I said, I am so overwhelmed. It's not your fault, but I just need to scream. So I just screamed. (laughs) Like I just screamed. Thankfully, I didn't scream at them. Or curse at them. So that's that was a positive step. But I needed some sort of emotional release because I had my stress levels build up to the point of, I can't take one more thing in that moment. Even as adults, we still have those moments. And hopefully we know ourselves well enough to know, you know, what? I really need to go for a walk right now. Or because I couldn't, because I was solo parenting, I really need to just let out a little scream right now. I need to cry. I need to take some deep breaths. I need to journal, right? Hopefully we know ourselves well enough to be able to release those emotions in a healthy way. And hopefully we know when we need to reach out for support from someone else in order to process those emotions in a healthy way. But our kids are new at this and kids do not have the brain development to navigate these emotional releases on their own. They really need a safe, trusted caregiver to provide what we call co-regulation. And essentially, that is just your safe, calm presence. That might include validation of their emotions. Yeah, I really get it. You're so mad. I get it. It's okay to be mad. It makes so much sense you feel that way. That might include keeping them safe. I won't let you hit. I won't let you throw blocks. But it always includes your safe, calm presence that just welcomes those emotions instead of trying to get them to stop, okay? So no, meltdowns are not ideally avoided. If we don't release these feelings, they will build up and they will manifest in unhealthy ways. Kids are actually really great at releasing these emotions at regular intervals. And when your child's going through something stressful, when your child's transitioning to a new grade in school, when you move, maybe your family's going through a structural change like a divorce or a new sibling, these things are going to make your child's container fill up faster to where it needs to spill over more frequently, which is going to look like more meltdowns, right? So that isn't a problem to be fixed. It doesn't mean your child has an emotional problem. Your child is actually just doing the adaptive thing of releasing the emotions every time that container gets full. That's what we want to see, okay? So this requires a perspective shift. We have to stop seeing meltdowns as bad or negative. And instead, we've got to start seeing them for the adaptive, healthy coping tool that they are. We've got to start seeing our kids offloading these emotions as a positive thing. And toward that end, perspective really is everything, especially in these really hard parenting moments. And I think that meltdowns are some of the hardest parenting moments that we're going to go through. If we have the perspective to see things as they are, as opposed to letting the narratives of this is bad behavior, if you were a good parent, your child wouldn't be melting down. You've got to make this stop. If we let those take over, it's going to be really hard for us to intervene in a way that's effective. So toward that end, if you have not grabbed your copy of my free guide, Six Mindset Shifts to Ditch the Overwhelm and Parent in a Way That Feels Good, grab your copy today. These mindset shifts are going to set you up to see yourself and your child through the most favorable and generous interpretation, which is going to help you show up in a way that really does feel good for both of you. You can go to raisedresilient.com forward slash mindset and grab your copy today. Okay. So the next myth about meltdowns is related to the last one, but it's not exactly the same. Myth number three is it's my job when my child is melting down to get them to calm down and feel better. Okay. That's actually not your job, your job. And I said this a few minutes ago, but I'm going to say it again. Now your job, when your child is melting down is to let the feelings come out for as long as they need to in your safe and accepting and calm presence and to keep your child safe. That's it. Now, I know that sometimes we have places to be and that we can't just let those feelings come out endlessly, so check out my episode on shepherding through to learn how to deal with these meltdowns when we have somewhere we need to be or when we can't just let the feelings keep coming out. But in general, we want our mindset to be that we are going to let these feelings come out in our safe presence for as long as they need to, and we're going to make sure that we're going to keep our child safe. All feelings are allowed, not all behaviors. We have to teach our kids what to do with their feelings, right? And so we do that by saying, oh yeah, I see that you're so mad. Oh, I'm not going to let you hit me. I'm going to hold your wrist for a second so that you don't hit me. I know you're mad. I get it, right? That's how we teach them what is appropriate to do with our mad feelings and what's not. But it's not your job, to make your child calm down or to get them happy again. I know it can feel like that, right? I know, especially if you have an audience, if you're in public or you're around family, it can be really challenging to just let those feelings come out. And that's one of the things I'm gonna talk about in the workshop. What can you do in those moments when you do have an audience? But remember, your only job is to let those feelings come out. You've got to let your child empty out that container so they can start fresh. Because we don't want these feelings to just stay stuck and get internalized. That is not healthy. We need these feelings to release. Myth number four about meltdowns is I'm a bad parent if I lose my cool during my child's meltdown. Okay, if you have ever lost your cool when your child was melting down and now you were dysregulated right alongside your child, welcome to the club. (laughs) You are so not alone. I feel like all of us have been there at one point or another, especially if you were taught as a child through the way your caregivers responded to your big emotions that feelings were scary, right? If you were taught that, then you're going to feel really uncomfortable when your child is dysregulated and your nervous system might go into fight or flight, and then you're going to have a hard time staying calm, which is why the perspective shifts are so helpful That's the first step to really retraining your nervous system to see that feelings are okay, feelings are safe. Now, that's a cognitive step. There's a lot more work that we have to do, and this is what it is to be a cycle breaker. It is not easy, and it's not going to be something that you snap your fingers and it's done, but When you have the perspective to see what's happening for what it really is, it's easier to take deep breaths and ground yourself and really try to retrain your nervous system that this is not an emergency. This is a safe situation. This is healthy. This is normal. And again, if you do lose your cool when your child is melting down, you don't have to be perfect. There is literally no such thing as perfect parenting. And you can always repair You can always say to your child, I'm so sorry that I yelled. It is never your fault when I yell, and I know that you needed me to be there so that you could let your feelings out, but my feelings got in the way. I'm going to work on that, right? You can always repair. So if that is something you struggle with, you are so not alone. And we're going to talk during the workshop, too, about how to really take care of ourselves so that it feels easier to show up for our kids in those hard moments. Okay. So that wraps up today's episode. I hope that was helpful. These four myths about meltdowns really are pervasive still in our society. And I think it's really important for us to start to debunk those for ourselves so that we can really start to show up differently. So next week, we're going to talk about three pieces of bad advice that you've probably gotten about how to handle your child's meltdowns. And then we're going to talk about the after-school meltdown. And again, make sure to grab your seat for the workshop on Saturday, August 27th. If you haven't already Raisedresilient.com forward slash grow. Thank you so much for listening. I will catch you next week. And in the meantime, we've got this. I so appreciate you listening and being here. It really means the world to me. And if you are enjoying this podcast, leave a review and share with someone who could use this message. I really and truly believe that this is how we change the world. We spread the word about raising resilient kids, about being cycle breakers. So share this podcast, leave a review, and let's spread the word about raising resilient kids. Until next time, we've got this.